Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. For more information, please call 234-803-481-0869 or for free audio downloads, kindly visit www.davidogaga.org. Alright, praise the Lord. We want to, I just want to do a, a, a single series, maybe, I mean, single, or well, tonight. Um, you may just call this, actually what I'm dealing with is God as the ultimate goal of redemption. So, you just simply say, the goal of redemption is God. You just put it that way, in a, in a simple form. But actually what I'm dealing with is God as the ultimate goal of redemption. You know, when you look at the Bible and you start studying in relation to that which you call salvation, everything boils down to one fact, and that is the redemption of mankind. That is just all. Adam fell in the garden. And so Christ came to redeem man that was fallen. It's just like the children of Israel were taken out of captivity by Moses. And Egypt is seen as the realm of sin. As far as scripture is concerned, it refers to the world that which keeps men in bondage. And so when Adam fell, sin reigned, that's what the Bible says, began to have dominion over man. But what we need to also understand is man did not drop from the sky. So when you say man fell, the first question is where did he fall from? Because we don't seem to understand the use of the world or when we say man fell, we don't seem truly to understand what we're talking about. Because the point is, where was he when he fell? Was he up in the sky? Was it, you know, sitting somewhere very high and then it dropped down? Is that what we mean by man fell, falling? I remember I've illustrated it some time ago and uh, he said the common language we use, the way people use it is, they, they will tell you they will tell you he has fallen from grace to grass have you heard that? good what does that mean? when you say man has fallen from grace to grass it means you left one position to another you've left a, left a lofty position to lower position that's what you mean to say. You've left the place of glory to a realm of, you know, a beggarly state. So, for instance, sorry, you have somebody who is rich, who has money, and, and things go wrong with the business or whatever, and then his business collapses, and then his money went to the drain or something. You say he has fallen from grace to grass or from glory to nothingness. That is just what it means. 
It simply means Adam was living the realm of authority, dominion, and power. But when sin came, he was brought low to have something else to rule over him. So it was not like a drop from the sky. And if we understand that, help me Jesus, if we understand that, it becomes very easy for us to comprehend the purpose of the redemption of man through Christ. Hallelujah. Are we together? Now I want you to pick this because it's very important. It's, it's, it's all that really uh, package, if I may use the word, everything that God is intending to do. So let's read from Ephesians 1 verse 11 from the King James translation. And here the Bible says, talking about Christ, whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. Remember we dealt with this some time ago when we were talking about predestination. Remember that? Then verse 13 says, In whom ye also trusted. After that you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also, after that you believe, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Holy Spirit of promise. That means the Holy Spirit was promised in relation to Tariye on TBN due from on high. How many of you remember that? The book of Luke and then Acts chapter 1. You just wait in the city. And so on and so forth. So they went to the upper room. So Paul is now trying to speak to the Gentiles that that same thing that happened on the very day of Pentecost is what you have also received. But then he says, seal. Right? And then when you go to verse 14, he says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now the word redemption, Apollo trusts. It means the act to ransom in full. That is, Ridance, especially Christian salvation, you speak of deliverance without redemption. Now, this is the way it is. If perhaps you, let us even put it this way you have a relation who, for one reason or the other, gave up his car because he is indebted to somebody else. And so the man collects the car. Is that okay? Right. Then perhaps it got to the point that still he's unable to pay. And so the debtor, the creditor, takes the car to the pawn shop. That is auction. Where it has to be auctioned out. Is that okay? And so now the brother to the debtor comes in and discovers that the car is in the pawn shop or is in the auction stand. And he asks for the value of how much the person was owing while the car is there. And then he pays the exact amount of the equivalent of the car. And so what's the next thing that happens? The owner takes possession of the car because somebody paid. Or the common language we use, they bailed him out. Is that okay? Right. So now here we see redemption. So the Bible says the Holy Spirit is giving us an earnest 
the word NX means a down payment in another sense. If, for instance, the vehicle is there and the brother comes in or you even go to the shop and it's okay, what you're owing is maybe let's say 20,000 or 20 US dollars, for instance, and then you pay 10,000 to balance 10,000, then you take full possession of the property. Another way you can see it is like, okay, you want to buy a property, you go to a shop, and they tell you how much is what, and then you pay half of that amount of money. You know what? You're going to be getting the receipt, but it's not going to be saying, balance this amount. Am I correct? Very good. In that instance, you don't have right to collect the property, but you pay some money, and when you pay off the balance, then you can collect the property that you paid for. So that's what it means by earnest. Earnest means down payment. To indicate that it will be full payment. Is it making sense to you? Fine. So now, your spirit is paid for, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Your soul is undergoing Sealing or redemption, if you will, because it speaks of your mind, your will, your intellect, or your emotion. Like I always try to illustrate to you, the Holy Spirit is coming from your human spirit and it's affecting your soul for a change. But the full payment is when your. Let's look at what the full payment will guarantee us. Romans chapter 8, let's look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits, the earnest now, of the Spirit. Even we also groan within ourselves. Waiting for the adoption to wait. What? The redemption of our bodies. Can you get that? Then verse 22 says, For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what doeth he yet hope for? What I mean now is, remember what happened in Luke 2 and the fourth soul? When Jesus walked in, when the disciples were afraid, the windows, the doors were locked, and Jesus walked in. You know the story. And then they were afraid and thinking that it was a ghost. It's a spirit. And then he told them, no, spirits have no flesh and bones. You remember the story? Very good. So the kind of body that he was putting on when he walked into that house, that is the redeemed body we're talking about. So now, why is saying you have to hope, verse 24, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is sin is not hope. In other words, if you think you've gotten the whole of that which is called salvation, you lie because your blood is still flowing in your vein. And a redeemed body does not have blood. Are you following what I'm saying here? So people say, what are you? You know, I always ask the question, are you saved? What do you say about salvation? What? 
What do you believe about salvation? I mean, it's funny. What is salvation? Huh? Hallelujah. It encompasses the whole realm of spirit, soul, and body. So, that is what Paul is saying here. The only hope left for you is not a hope of relocation. It's a hope of redemption of your body. Now, that is difficult for people to grasp. I don't know if you are getting this. It is clearly written here. We have a nest of the spirit. We are groaning in this body. Why are we groaning in this body? Because this is not the kind of body we really intend to live with. So we say, God, what is all this? How long? You know, imagine you seek all the time. You see many stars of God doing miracles, signs and wonders. And yet they are still sick. They have problems in their bodies. I mean, what kind of thing is that? Sometimes you feel like, it's, is this thing real? Are you with me? You see men doing signs and wonders and miracles, healing people of cancer, diseases, and they are dying of cancer. So sometimes you begin to wonder, is this thing real? It's all the more reason why people sometimes think that miracles are just psychosomatic healings. Because even the healers themselves, they have problems. Why is it so? Because we are waiting for the adoption to wait what? The redemption of our body. That is what we have not gotten. And it's called the Feast of Tabernacle. Right? Passover speaks of you being saved, coming out of the wall. Pentecost is the gift of the Spirit, like you know. Redemption of your physical body speaks about the Feast of Tabernacle. That is the only thing Christians are waiting for. They are not waiting to go up in the sky because they were not in the first place in the sky. Somebody won't like that, but who cares? If that is the truth. You didn't drop from the sky, so you can't go back to the sky. You're going to go back to where you came from. We are talking of redemption. You can't substitute something else for the equivalent of what was lost. Am I, am I, I'm speaking to somebody here. You pay the price for what was owned. I'm going to make a statement there that somebody won't like. We never lost heaven. We lost relationship with heaven. We never lost heaven. We lost relationship with heaven. I don't know if you pick what I've just said. Can you imagine what the prodigal son said? I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against my father. Who is heaven then? What he meant to say is I've sinned against God. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. We lost relationship with heaven. Or he's the living God. So this is what we're waiting for. Whether people want to believe it or not, you're just wasting your time. You're just wasting your time. Because this is the simple truth. It is clearly written here in scripture. For we are saved by hope. Now, the word by is and you check it properly. It's saying we are saved in hope. In hope of something that has to be realized. We are saved in hope. And that in hope of what? 
the redemption of our body. So he said, if we think we've gotten everything about redemption or salvation, as you want to think about it, why are we still sick? That more or less is like what this question is all about. But he's saying, we are saved of this hope, but hope that is saying is not hope for what a man said, what are he had hope for? Why do you still hope? If you think you've gotten everything. But Paul is presenting to us here a hope that must be realized. And I'm saying this is why. He said, we must, I don't know if I touched it here in the course of this. We must realize that there is a period we're walking in through. You could call that a period of grace. You could call that a period of uh, the church age. But there is going to be a fullness of that which has nothing to do. That is where ultimately, I'll touch it as we are progressing, ultimately you discover that Christ himself will have nothing to do. The ultimate. Anyway, let's make progress. Look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 20. Let's take it from the Amplified Translation. That's where the real sense is brought out. Matthew chapter 1 verse 20. Now, this is the story about Joseph and Mary. I'm sure you know this story. When he was found with the baby. And somebody asked me the question this other time. Which was so funny. About the first coming of Christ. And I asked the question, how did they come? So he was born as a human being. Oh, he was born as a human being. I was thinking he dropped from the sky. But you remember what the angel told Mary. He said, the glory will overshadow you. Remember that? And that holy thing that shall be found in thee shall be called what? Son of God. How did he come? He came through the cloud. Out of a shadowed Mary. <laughs> and when we start talking about that, you've got to understand that because God is looking for a church. You, you see, Paul saying the same thing, said, speaking to the Corinthian church, he said, I'm jealous over you, but godly jealousy, for I desire to present you as what? A chaste virgin unto God. Now Mary was a virgin, so he got the Holy Ghost over her, and then got the seed formed in her. So Paul is trying to say, I want a church that I can form Christ in. In other words, we're looking for a church that will bet the Christ, the man-child that will rule the world. That is all about this business we are in. Raising a community of people that will bear the Christ to walk on the face of the earth. To reveal the glory of God. Praise God, somebody. He's not talking about you going away. This thing seems to be hard, but, well, we can do otherwise because that's what the Bible says. We've got to say what the Bible says and speak what the Bible speaks as well. Hallelujah. So he says, now, Joseph was saying, man, I can allow this lady... To stay with me. This is going to be an embarrassment. Remember they were betrothed. They were not fully married yet. That means they have not come together. So they have this you know, funny experience. And find that Mary was pregnant. And Joseph said no. I don't want to allow this embarrassment to come upon her. For people to sit like she. It's like saying she was a wayward woman. So let me just put her away. 
And so the angel came and started talking to Joseph. Now here is what the angel spoke to Joseph. And that's again, I always try to make you understand your mind what you think because your thoughts are very powerful. You see, the thought can be responded to either by God or by demons, if I may use the word. And this is very important and very critical. You've got to get that. Joseph wasn't praying when the angel was dispatched. Is it, is it clear? He was doing what? Thinking. And he got a response to his thoughts. And that's why scripture says we do exceedingly above what you ask or think. And I'll just try to make you understand God responds to your prayer just as he responds to your thoughts. That's why Philippians 4 we say if there be anything of virtue, think on these things. He asks you to know what to think about because those are the things that you respond to. Hallelujah. So here we see, but as he was thinking this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, descendant of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from and out of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and shall call his name Jesus. The Greek form of the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. And this is defined from the Bible. That is, when he says save their people from their sin, that is, prevent them from failing and missing. The true end and scope of life, which is God. He will prevent them, I want you to follow that, from failing and missing. Oh goodness. Understand what it means to be saved from sin. It's to prevent you. It's to make sure you don't miss your target. Because the word... I don't know how to put it. Hamatia. To miss the mark. That is what sin is all about. So it's like you have a target and you're walking straight, all of a sudden you're diverting. Or you're shooting an arrow and there's a target you're supposed to shoot the arrow to and you miss the target, the circle there. That is what is called sin. You miss the target. Now the target that we are pursuing is God. Not a location. You following that? Did you get what I'm saying here? I want you to grasp that because it's very important. That is to prevent. Now the good news about it is that he prevents you. Oh, somebody needs to rejoice about that. You see, he is making sure that is why you're going to get there. He is making sure. If, if he has to prevent you, then he's going to prevent you. Oh, somebody needs to get this. You, you see what happened to Abimelech in relation to Sarah? You know the story? Genesis 20? When God said, I prevented you. How many of you understand that? Very good. Same thing. I prevented you from sinning against me. You know what? From missing the mark. 
And make sure you don't do it. And that's what we're saying. So we're talking about Jesus taking up the worthy ability for you to do what will make you miss God. Because that's your target. That's your goal. And they call it the scope of life. And I took interest in that word scope. What is scope? Scope is like a space or opportunity for unhampered motion, activity, or thoughts. That is the word scope. Unhampered, I mean it's an opportunity for unhampered motion, activity, or thoughts. In other words, I'm thinking of reaching to my destination and there's nothing that will stop me from getting to my destination. My scope. Unhampered motion, uninterrupted opportunity in getting to your target. That is the word scope. What is the scope of life? God. Not a location. Not up in the sky. <laughs> Hallelujah. Scope means the extent of treatment on activity or influence. The original word is actually an Italian word, scopo. It's an Italian word. The origin of the word scope is an Italian word, scopo, which means purpose, which means goal. And I like that. So, what are we talking about? The true end and goal of life. The true end and purpose of life. What is the purpose of life? God. And Jesus is making sure you get your purpose realized. This one is different from the purpose that we teach. I don't know if you understand what I mean by that. You know what purpose message is all about? Right. What do you call those things? Um, Motivational speaking? On purpose, purpose, purpose. Right. What is purpose? Your purpose to be a driver. Your purpose to be a caterpillar operator. Your purpose to be... Yeah. It's all good. Purpose to be a barber. Saloon. Barber saloon. I have no problem with that. It's all fine. But the true purpose of life is what? God. And Jesus is making sure you arrive there. Oh no. That is why I say, though I am with you to the end of the age. It's, it's making sure you get to your destination, which is your purpose, which is God. Hallelujah. It's from the Greek word, skopos. Close to the Greek word, it has to do with to watch, to look at. Now, the noun form of this word scope is like what you get from telescope. And you know what a telescope means? Telescope is something that you can mount on a firearm on a gun for use as a sight. You know what telescope means? You can have a gun and then you have a little thing in front of the gun. You look through that, you get your target. That is scope. That's where you get the word telescope. Hmm? 
That means because of that little telescope that is mounted on a firearm, you can't miss your target. If you want to shoot, you get it because you're looking through the telescope. Hallelujah. And so Jesus is narrowing us to the place where we don't miss the target. And who is the target? God. Not failing, not missing. Hallelujah. It's also a verb. The verb form actually means to look at especially for the purpose of evaluation. To take, to take, to take count, or if I use what sense of evaluating, to be able to evaluate. That's what it means, scope, in the Greek as well. And I find this word so interesting, that it spoke so much to my mind in the course of my study, when I was looking at this. And it was ministering to me. So, the intention of God is that you become one with Him. And Jesus prayed a prayer that it might be with me, even where I am, die in me, I in them, they in us. Hallelujah. In other words, you come into the place of being united into the Godhead. Praise God, somebody. Now, this is a hard one, I'm sure. <laughs> but let's just move on a little bit. I don't know if we can finish up, but let's move on. I didn't intend to do series on this. First Corinthians 15, Amplified Translation. Verse 25. If I ask you what is the scope of life, what are you going to tell me? What? God. He is the scope of life. Is God. The purpose of life is God. The ultimate goal of redemption is God. That's the target. Okay. First Corinthians 15 verse 25. Amplified. For Christ must be king. And I want you to know the word must. And reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And that is from Psalm 111 verse number 1. And verse 26 says, the last enemy to be subdued and abolished is death. The last enemy. As long as man is still dying, that means the enemy is still there. But that is not to say Christ is not reigning. Because death is the last enemy. That means there are some other enemies that is conquering. And most of them are within the realm of your soul. And that is why we read in James 4 about the members that are warring within your being. Remember that? In the process of this world himself is conquering all of those members of yours that are warring within your bodies. Verse 27. For he is the Father has put all things. How many things? all things in subjection under his Christ's feet. Now I don't want to spend time on that but that is very important for us to understand that in the true sense all things are meant to be under the feet of Jesus Christ. And don't forget where is the feet of Jesus? If he is the head of the church then the feet must be our feet. And even death shall be brought under your feet. You see, this thing is taken from the Old Testament principle 
The early times when a king captures another king, he will put his foot on his neck to ensure that you have been conquered. Even if you are still alive, just to demonstrate that you have been conquered, he will rest his foot on your head. That's what he's talking about. He speaks of dominion. He speaks of authority. And that has to be under the feet of Jesus, which is the church. Then he says, But when he says all things are put in subjection under him, it is evident that he himself, which is God, is exempted, who does the subjecting of all things to him. In other words, God is not under Christ's feet. It's not included among the things that is ruling over. Is anybody understanding that? Very good. Verse 28. However, when everything, how many things? Everything. Is subjected to him, to who now? To Christ. Then the Son himself will also subject himself to the Father, who put all things under Christ, so that God, now this is the picture, God may be all in all. What is the meaning? God may be everything to everyone, supreme, the indwelling and controlling factor of life. Are you getting that? So there comes a time when it's like saying Jesus steps aside and God takes charge. So it's like asking the simple question. Who was there between Adam and God in the garden? There was no third party. You listening to me? There was nobody there between God and Adam. The communication was only between Adam and God. So the controlling fact of Adam was God. Jesus came as a mediator. Do we still believe that? Going by this scripture, the ultimate end of it all, outside of this dispensation of the church age, if I may use the word, when we come to the fullness of the kingdom age, Jesus steps aside. It has to be man and God. Or man and God. God and man. Are you following what I'm saying here? No intermediary. Think about it. If two persons are quarreling and then you come in to settle the dispute, by the time they have reconciled, what will you be doing? You go back to your home. You getting that? He steps aside. That is what the Bible is telling us here. That God becomes the indwelling factor, the controlling factor of life. Right now, help me Father, we are being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit? Is it different from Christ? No. For this Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. How many of you remember in the book of Acts chapter 2? Peter speaking on the day of Pentecost. The Jesus whom you crucified, God have made both Lord and Christ. The second Corinthians 3.17. 
the Lord is thy spirit. And now we are controlled by the spirit which you want to say is Christ. But there comes a time when it is no longer, and that's what we're coming into, it's no longer spirit, it's no longer Christ, it's no longer God in different ages. It's all but one, and that is God in our lives. Man and God. Look at Romans 11, verse 36. This may be hard for some of us, but we just need to pray and meditate. Romans 11. Let's look at it from the Amplified Translation as well. Verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are how many things? All things. For all things originate with him and came from him and all things live through him and all things center in and tend to consummate and to end in him. To him be glory forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Are we together? I just want you to pick this because it's very vital. Very, very vital for you to capture what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. And he said, all things consummate. You know what it means to consummate? Everything is ending. In who? In him. For whom all things originated. For there was a time where there was nothing. But God. And then he said, let there be. And now you tell me, where did all things come from? Because there was a time when there was nothing but God. That's what the Bible is saying. All things originate with Him, for Him, and living through Him. Because He's sustaining them by His Spirit. And everything is ending up in Him. This is a full redemption. Everything that came out of Him is going back to Him. The ultimate goal of redemption is God. Are you listening? So, when we said the son also shall be subject unto him, we found that this is when, like I'm saying, the administration, or what you probably call the dispensation of the kingdom of grace or the church aid finally comes to an end. Yet we are talking of no more state of probation, in quotes, you know, as it relates to the church age. As a result, there is no need of distinction, ultimately, between the kingdom of grace and the kingdom of the glory of God. There will be no distinction because everything is merging, is collapsing into one. There is going to be but one kingdom, the kingdom of God, and what is the ethics of that? He reigns for the kingdom. I was speaking to a pastor a few days ago. He called me up in the U.S. and we were having a discussion, just chatting. And I asked him a question. Do you really think God is a king? No, it was difficult for me to answer. But he was saying, well, the Bible says he's a king. And he said, Jesus is the king of kings. Oh, no, I have no problem with that. But can I ask a question? Was God a king over Adam, as it were? 
We only infer that it was a family. There was no subject in quote. It was a family. Am I a king over my children or a father? God has always been a father. Oh, come on. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm talking about? I'm a father. I'm not a king over my children. No. And guess what? Do you know the first king in Israel was actually Saul? So how were they ruling before Saul came up? Because the people say we want to be like other nations, give us a king. Am I correct? That means they have never been a king before that time. So how was God ruling the people? It was father and son relationship. This is hard for us to pick. Because God is building a father and son relationship. He's bringing people back to himself that he might be a father unto them. He was a father unto Adam. Let's make my image of a likeness. He didn't say let's make subject that we rule over. <laughs> Are you getting this? Praise the living God. So, ultimately, there is no question of the kingdom of grace, kingdom of dispensation of grace, kingdom of whatever. No, no, no. Everything is coming together. And it has to be God and man. But this is hard. But that is the ultimate. Can I make a statement here? The end of the Bible is not the book of Revelation. The end of the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15. Because, you see, the whole book of Revelation was dealing with the church age and the church age and all that was going to happen. But this is the final thing that is going to happen. That's what I'm talking about. So, sorry, I'm presenting to you the last chapter of the whole Bible. <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you with me? Then the Bible says, Then the Son, seeing also both the Son of Man and the Son of or the Messiah shall cease to exercise any particular dominion in all realms, as God will now be in full expression in all creation. So the question of the Son of Man, the question of the Son of God, the question of being the Messiah, all those faces are collapsing into one unit, which is God. Hallelujah. So here we find that God is going to be a full expression in all creation. Because the Bible says that God may be all in all. Be everything to every man, supreme, the indwelling, and condemning factor of life. So here we shall see that there will be no division between the personality expressions of God. As Father, Son, and Holy Ghost walk in separate parts other than the kingdom of grace, or in the kingdom of the glory of God, or the kingdom of the Son of God, all those expressions... We have to collapse into one expression, the kingdom of God. This is when the one infinite God is fully revealed, undivided eternally as the Godhead. Everything one. In the beginning, God. How many of you remember that? Hallelujah. Behold Israel, our God is one God. Not two gods, not three gods, one God. 
Amen? So then we find that the ultimate goal of redemption is not a location, but what? A person. Hmm? Am I making sense to you? It's not a location. The ultimate end, the ultimate goal, the ultimate scope, the ultimate, the final goal, the desire of God Himself, the design of that which is called redemption is ending in a person and not in a location. When men present location to you, they are presenting something outside of the Bible. Makes no difference who is preaching it. Hallelujah. Are you there? Praise the living God. There was no third personality, like I said in the beginning, between Adam and God. There was no third person there. Am I right? If there was no sin in the world, for instance, would it have been the need for Jesus to come? No. Simple answer. If there was no sin, would it have been the need for Jesus to come? Would God have sent his son? And for what purpose? So whatever if sin is eradicated, what will he be doing? <laughs> Glory to God. Are you there? And let's get this right. And it's important I say this. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. You can read from whatever translation you want. Genesis 21 verse 26. 26. You see, we are always thinking. You need to go to some camp and hear where they preach about the issue of having dominion. We're going to rule all realms. <laughs> Rule all men, rule all people. Truth is this. Ultimately, man was never created to rule over man. It's a lie. It's not found in the Bible. This is what you see. Scripture says, God said, let us Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Godhead now, make mankind in our image, after our own likeness, and let them have what? complete authority over the fish of the sea, over the bears of the air, the tame bees, and over all the earth, and over everything that creepeth where? Upon the earth. Nothing beyond that. Man is not included in what they have to have the authority over. That is why in the church, you are not even supposed to have authority over anybody. You are a shepherd. You guard people. You don't rule over people. Hmm? The Gentiles rule over their subjects. But in the kingdom, you serve. Can you get the picture? So Israel never had a king until they demanded for one and said, We want to be like other nations. God said, Okay, you can have one. So when God begins, it's like saying, Oh, you respect that world. You think there is something special about being a king. Okay, if that is the case, let me let you know I'm the king of kings. Even those kings you talking about that you, you fear so much, I'm also their king. Are you done with me? Otherwise, from the very beginning, 
God is a father. Never a king. Hallelujah. You follow me? I want you to pick this. It's a simple word, I believe. So that you know where you are going. So that you know exactly what God ultimately intends to anchor you on. It's going to be himself. You come back to this very passage. Let's make man in our image after our likeness. Nothing beyond that. It's not, and this is not supposed to be upstairs. Am I correct? Hey, are we together? This is where man was. This is the realm that man was. When he fell, he left this realm. So we say man fell because he left this realm. So redemption is taking you back. As you have God, you begin to express the same dominion and authority. But for the time being, we're hoping for the redemption of our body. Hallelujah. And when it comes to this realm, you discover that the doors cannot stop Jesus, the wall cannot stop Jesus, the wind have to obey Him. All of those things demonstrated are typically the very life that man was supposed to live before he left the realm through sin. But the good news is Jesus came. He didn't only come to pay for the price that is equivalent of the sin that you sin. He's also there to guard you. He's also there to make sure you don't fail in missing the mark, which is the ultimate purpose of redemption, and that is what? God. Hallelujah. So this is the good news, that we're moving back to our dwelling place. So let's go back and finalize from Psalm 90, verse number 1. Hallelujah. Lord, now you can take it from the Amplify, okay, or the King James. Lord, that have been what? Our dwelling place where? In all generations. Let's take it from the Amplify. It gives you some emphasis there. You have been our dwelling place and our refuge in all generations. All generations. God has only been our dwelling place. Is that okay? Praise the living God. And so when you begin to read down the story, Moses was now lamenting and saying, oh my goodness. But now we find that we come to a place where a man is dying sometime even at the age of 70. He was not regretting many because we are out of our dwelling place. Are you following that? Therefore we are now counting years to be 70, 80, and 90 no, we are aging and dying. But when we were supposed to be with him, there was no process of dying and decaying. That's the regret that Moses is talking about. And so when you finish and go to Psalm 91, what's the next you see? They that dwelleth in the sacred place of the Mosai shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And so you finish Psalm 90, which is a scripture of complaint and regret, you move to what God wants to do. And so in the last verse of Psalm 91, with long life shall I satisfy them. No longer 70 years, no longer 80 years. Is anybody understand what I'm saying? How long is long life? <laughs> Are you getting what I'm saying now? 
Man, this is where we are going to. This is what God has in mind for us. But people will not understand this. You think we're going to a location. You are not going to any location. You are going back to God. You came from God. He has been our dwelling place from all generations. From the very beginning. Because there was a time where there was nothing except who? God. And out of Him was everything was coming. Romans, uh, you know, 1136, everything began to come out of God. All of us came out of God. Let's make man out of our image. We came out of Him. And that is why it's so critical for us to understand that. I used to tell people, somebody was speaking to me a few days ago. They're from South Africa. And asked a simple question. How did man fall in the first place? Hmm? Man fell because of knowledge. Am I correct? As much as I believe in prayers, I believe in all of those things we do, we must understand only one thing made man to fall. And if we can get back to that same thing that made man to fall, you get back to where you are supposed to be. So can we conclude that tonight by looking at Colossians 3 and verse number 10. Hallelujah. Is this making sense to anybody? Colossians 3. And have clothed yourself with a new spiritual self, which is ever in the process of being renewed and remolded into fuller and more perfect knowledge upon knowledge. Can you get this? After the image, the likeness of him who created him. Let's make mine an image and after what? A likeness. And so what happened? My age of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we lost the image of likeness of God. So what is happening? For you to get back to that same place of dominion, you've got to have accurate knowledge. That restore you back. Because you got lost through knowledge. That's what the Bible says, man. People are destroyed for what? Lack of knowledge. And the word lack means separated. Miss off, miss not connected. So what connects you back to God is knowledge. Can you get that? That's the meaning of the word. Hosea 4, 6, my poor. A lack of knowledge. Go check the word lack. It means to be cut off, means to be separated. My people are separated from God because of knowledge. So when you get knowledge, accurate knowledge back of who God is and where you're going back to, you go 